Welcome to Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast. I'm Seth. This is my man Chandler coming to you live out of Jacksonville, Florida and Dallas, Texas. What's going on, Chandler? Nothing much, man. Summer, enjoying summer. Um, I see you got that tropical storm coming through your area. Oh, yeah. It's funny they call it Elsa, but, you know, Frozen Elsa's a snow princess queen thing maybe you'll so get some it's... hail be, uh... yeah i just noticed that the, uh, when i was thinking about today it's like it's kind of funny they named it elsa but it's a tropical thing so yeah. <laughs> but that's supposed to be hitting right about now at the time of recording this so july 6th uh 2021 7 p.m uh eastern standard time so if i drop out a signal it's elsa's fault yeah <laughs> so hopefully it holds up good though so i'm the only one yeah. using the wi-fi right now so it should be strong so we'll see what happens yeah hopefully but, no storm knocks yeah. it away dallas right now it's nice and sunny in here so there you uh, go you know it's a, it's it's pretty good it's a nice time here how was your fourth of july by the way oh yeah just of course you know we got to talk about fourth of july i almost forgot. oh yeah um it was great i watched the patriot as i ate uh, apple pie and ice cream and uh went to a Can fireworks you get more show. american than that i know right <laughs> and uh then yeah, I went to a fireworks show, a couple of them actually, between nice. last week and this past weekend, went to three. So that's pretty cool. And went to a little carnival they had here. And yeah, we just enjoyed me and my wife and, uh, you know, just chilled. And we we bought fireworks, but we didn't actually get to use them because <laughs> um, we just didn't have time for all that we were doing. So I still have them, but I feel like if I go out and use them now, then people... It's a little more suspicious. <laughs> it's a little more suspicious, yeah. It's like, what's that noise on campus? Somebody, you know, shot Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah that'd probably be bad. <laughs> so I don't know if I should just go ahead and use it just because, or if I should wait until New Year's, but we'll, you know... That's a good idea. To be Save continued, I'll let you know next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, this past Sunday for our uh, for 4th of July, uh, my church, uh, Souls Harbor Church of God, um, in Glen St. Mary, right outside of Jacksonville, we always do every year a freedom celebration where we do a big fireworks show. We have live music where our worship team will go out and play. And we'll usually, uh, if we can, we have some uh, uh, fellow church members from different churches come help with the music. So we'll mm-hmm. get a couple guitar players if we can, bass player, keyboard player, whatever. Um, we try to you know pull resources together from other churches in the area and kind of do a mixture of worship kind of thing so we'll do some we'll do some live worship uh then we'll do a big fireworks show with some music and we'll give out gifts to the community and stuff for veterans stuff for just everybody different age groups and um in the past before covid we would do uh food we'd hand out food to everybody just free of charge Mm -hmm. um no charge to come in just free to the community um we have a lot of businesses in town that are always ready to donate and help us out every year Mm -hmm. so i think this is our seventh or eighth year doing it and it always gets a lot of people a lot of attention and uh, because of covid we didn't do the food we just handed out drinks uh we had a lot of businesses donate water and soda and stuff um nice so it turned out good i think we had probably six or seven hundred people wow yeah um, i remember going to those when i lived in florida it was, it was pretty cool yeah and we had built a stage um in 2017 we'd raise money to build a stage because we had eddie james come in and we were going to do it outside and built this big old stage and had it all set up and then it ended up raining on us and we had to move it all inside so we never got to use it i think you were there for that one yeah um I don't miss so we, Florida's rain at all. It rains a little no. less here in Texas, which is nice. Yeah. But. So yeah, we never got to use the stage, uh, but this year we finally got to use it. <laughs> so we finally got that set up and uh, 
got to do our music, do our fireworks. Uh, we always outdo the our town of McClenny with their fireworks show. People always say ours is better. So according to them, we outdo the town. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, so, small town. so we got done with that uh, Sunday night. I probably got home around 11 or midnight and man, I was fried. That's a rough day. <laughs> so, day. uh, yeah, so that was fun, but I didn't get to watch the Patriot yet. Uh, and yeah. I don't think I had any apple pie yet. So we I watched I'm the only half American. uh, yesterday as well. Cause that's pretty, oh, that's American. a good one. Yeah. yeah. And we were going to watch Gump would probably be another one. Yeah. Captain Forrest America, Gump. Yeah. yeah. I usually yeah. watch Captain America, but I, I didn't watch it this past year. Cause it's like, I do it all the time. So yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> but, it was, but it was fun though. Well, Monday, you know, slept most of the day recovering from that and working over the weekend. So yeah, uh, just kind of was dead on Monday and then today kind of coming back to life. So <laughs> nice. yeah. And uh, if, uh, if you guys are here and want to comment how your 4th of July was, feel free to do so. But um, we're going to go ahead and get started here. So we are in our natural theology series. Um, if you, you might be wondering why we weren't here last week. So usually we do every single Tuesday. Last Tuesday was the first time we um, didn't have a podcast um, at all. And that was because my wife, 10 minutes before we started the podcast, uh, apparently got in a car accident. And yeah. so I, we canceled that and, you know, I, to deal with all that stuff and so she's good she's she's better um you know she's just uh yeah still has some neck pain and stuff but you know she's uh she's good um could be better but you know on right. that on that road to yeah every little bit but at least she had nothing some, major you said she had some cat scans and it came back okay and yeah no fractures kinda, yeah. um but you know she had some low back stuff too but she just still mm-hmm. needs a follow-up but you know she's a lot better she's back to work and Good. So we're, we're, you know, thank you for your all's prayers and everything for those who, who did know about that, because I know you made a post and everything mm. uh, about it. So uh, thank you for that. But now now that we're back here, uh, given no more, uh, you know, uh, inconveniences, <laughs> yeah. where we should be every week uh, from here on out. And so I'm excited to, again, begin with the cosmological arguments for God's existence. And in fact, that's what our episode is here. Episode 16. It's our 16th episode, Biblical Brainstorm. Been going nice. on it for crazy four months now. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the cosmological arguments for God's existence. Now, for those of you who are not philosophically or scientifically inclined, you might be looking at that and thinking, "What on earth <laughs> is that?" I don't know what the words mean. Yeah, you know, I know the, when I first started getting into this kind of stuff in my um, Bible classes and theology classes in college, it was. Uh, you know, I, was, I was pretty yeah, the uh, intrigued, and it was some big words, and I was like, man, is this going to be rough? But <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot you... of terms in philosophy yeah. that are just Latin but roots, very yeah. you know, long, confusing-looking words. But we're going to try to break it down as simple as possible, all of these concepts. And so, again, this is our second episode of the series. Last, last time we were just introducing some of the topics of what natural theology is and everything, and now we're going through the cosmological arguments. And the reason why it's arguments, plural, is because there's multiple versions of a Mm -hmm. cosmological argument uh, for God's existence. And so we're going to go through a few of them, mainly two. Um, So two big ones we'll kind of cover, but we'll kind of show the progression of those. And next week we'll uh, begin with the teleological arguments. And again, we'll explain those terms (laughs) when we get there. But this, this series that we're in of natural theologies Again, like I said before, going to be our more scientifically and philosophically based series uh, mm-hmm. before we go back into more biblical, historical stuff, theological stuff. But 
yeah. I know cosmological argument is uh, gives you a little bit of a better idea of where you're going to be going with Cosmo. No, teleological, that one's going to require some explaining next week. So tune in for that one. But mm-hmm. <laughs> cosmological, you know, for those of you that just have never heard of it and are just getting into it, like Chanda was saying, we'll explain it. But that, that'll give you a hint. Cosmo, cosmos. Cosmos, yeah. Cosmological. Beginning of the universe and, you know, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. just to give you a kind of a telegraph a little bit of where that's going. Yep. And like we said before, the natural theology, the Blackwell Companion natural theology, we're kind of using a some level of a baseline. Obviously, we're pulling from multiple sources, and this, uh, this one is very academic, so mm-hmm. uh, you know we can't use that solely because even we get confused on it because it's very academic work uh, mm-hmm. written by William Lynn Craig and J.P. Moreland. Uh, but we will break down some of the arguments, and so mm-hmm. uh, basically the, the origin of the cosmological arguments themselves um, as it you know, kind of explains there, comes from uh, really, I want to say Aquinas, but it, it precedes Aquinas. So Thomas mm-hmm. Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas was a, um, a Catholic philosopher, and he was a very big proponent of these cosmological arguments for God's existence. Um, some of these concepts go back to Aristotle and some of the Aristotelian mm-hmm. concepts. Uh, some of them go into medieval Muslim philosophers as well. But you see this culmination between, you know, the scholastic Christian movement and, and again, these uh, Catholic philosophers in the Renaissance and then just kind of culminates into the modern era to where now we have modern Christian philosophers um, mm. and even non-Christian, uh, just theistic uh, philosophers who yeah. have been big proponents of these arguments for the existence of God. And so these arguments are outside the Bible. They are outside really the realm of theology to a degree. Uh, well, they, they entail theology, but they're not based, you know, presupposing right. theology. They're just strictly philosophical and even scientific arguments for God's existence. So, mm. Yeah, and it's, uh, you had mentioned um, some of the early people that kind of perpetuated the argument. You mentioned um, Aristotle, mm-hmm. um, Plato, and some of those big name people we're familiar with as far as philosophy and things like that. And then you later said, um, you know, some of the early church fathers like Thomas Aquinas and then some even um, uh, Muslim philosophers and Jewish uh, philosophers. Yeah, later Jewish on. Too. Yeah. And uh, one of the arguments that we will um, be going over uh, today, the Kalam cosmological argument, uh, while mm-hmm. I was going through the reading, um, you can kind of tell by the name of the word, but it's uh, that was kind of coined by the Muslim um, philosophers. And it's not necessarily specific to um, the Muslim faith, but it's more of a just kind of pointing back to mm-hmm. um, just saying that, you know, there is a creator in the beginning kind of thing. So we'll get into it more, but uh, it's interesting, you know, how the, you know, this is a very old, the cosmological arguments, very old going back to you know, the classical Greek philosophers and stuff like that. So it's definitely deep <laughs> and a long, yeah. and a long history within these arguments. And a uh, shout out to Sentinel Apologetics. I know he's a friend of mine. We're in the same Bible study. He says, hey, uh, hey, lads. I read I that too quick and I thought I said, hey, ladies. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard lads in a long time. Bringing it back old school. So that's, oh, yeah. that's always good. I like um, the classical words. We'll have to bring you on for when we go over to the Genesis flood. I know you got a lot oh, of yeah. material on that. Um, good to have you on, man. Yeah. Anyways, so let's dive in here. So even though there's been this culmination of some philosophers pre, um, 
Aquinas, I kind of want to bring out what Aquinas himself said about the cosmological arguments and how he was such a big proponent of them. And so going through the uh, his what is called the the five waves, if you will, um, the existence of God that can be proved through five ways uh, by Thomas Aquinas. And so the three of the five are really the cosmological arguments. So the fourth and fifth, we won't really uh, get into today because they don't really pertain to the cosmological arguments for God's existence. But the, you know, the first three of his proofs of God um, have to do with that. And so the first one here, I'll just kind of read him verbatim here. So the first way, argument from motion. Um, and at any time, you know, we'll, you know, we'll stop and Seth, if you want to uh, interject, we, you know, we can break some of this down, but I'll just kind of read it here. So the first, the first way of argument of motion, our senses prove that some things are in motion. So that's kind of obvious. Mm -hmm. Everything around us we see is in motion. Uh, things move when potential motion becomes actual motion. So there's a potential and then there's a, you know, the motion itself. And so obviously something that doesn't have a potential to move won't move and can't move. Um, yeah. But obviously, like if you have a ball, like a basketball, I played basketball before, mm -hmm. uh, you know, high school and everything. And so if I if I take the ball and, you know, I put it on the ground, well, it has a potential to move, right, mm -hmm. uh, because it's in its nature, but it's not necessarily moving if it's just, you know, sitting there still. Um, but if I then hit the ball or, you know, in a soccer sense, I kick the ball, then it's it's then actual motion. Right. So it had a potential to move and then it's yeah. uh, and then it's actually moving after I kick it. But I had to give it that motion, mm -hmm. right? I kicked to the ball, which, you know, yeah. makes sense, right? And so, uh, the, you know, premise three here, only an actual motion can convert a potential motion into an actual motion. So I'm actually moving to have kicked the ball to actually therefore move. So if it was potential, but I, you know, another potential move, mm. you know, movement. So I, if I wasn't moving and the ball wasn't moving, but it could potentially move, uh, me doing nothing isn't going to move the ball. I actually have mm -hmm. to be in motion to then kick the ball to then therefore be in motion. So, so in other words, uh, this argument is pretty much saying that in order for nature, for us, for the universe to exist, it needs something to make it exist. And yeah. we had the potential to exist, but someone had to act upon it for us mm -hmm. to exist and come to being so what he's kind of hitting at here pretty much is there's had someone had to create everything we see and we yeah. feel yeah so, and this specific one is in, in terms of motion so the other ones will have to do with the actual material okay. um, nature of things but just looking around you right motion mm -hmm. everything's in motion there has to be uh, a first mover and this is what he'll get at in, gotcha. in this first one that everything has to have a, a first mover so I just read, you know, three, only an actual motion can convert a potential motion into an actual motion. Four, nothing can be at once in both actuality and potentiality in the same respect, right? If mm -hmm. actual and if both actual and potential, it is actual in one respect and potential in another. So this goes back to the last, you know, episode when we were talking about the laws of logic and, and you know, laws of non-contradiction and things like that. Obviously, you can have... Uh, you know, something can't be moving and not moving at the same time, right? At least yeah. not in the same sense. If something is, is moving in one sense, it's not moving, you know, it could be moving in another or not mm -hmm. moving in another. But 
in the same way, it can't be potential and uh, an actual. So, for example, like if 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 you're going one direction, right? Mm-hmm. I'm moving in one direction, then I'm not moving in another, right? right? Like, let's just say if I'm going straight, I'm not going left. But the thing yeah. is, I can't be simultaneously going left and forward in yeah. the same sense. I can't be moving, you know, because then that would right. be a contradiction, and then you know, defy yeah. the law of non-contradiction. So, it's, uh, you know, I could be potentially moving left, but I couldn't actually be moving left and actually moving forward. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be potential and actual in the same sense. That's that's his premise for it. Gotcha. Uh, five, therefore, nothing can move itself, <laughs> you yeah. know, because, you know, yeah. it, you know, just follows logically here. And six, yeah. therefore, each thing in motion is moved by something else. It gets back to mm-hmm. what we were just talking about, right? So if, if something is... Um, you know, not in motion and something has to put it in motion, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can't be that potential can't turn into an actual until somebody actually, you know, something in motion, you know, interacts with it. So it's like, if you have a rock, it's just, it's not going to move itself unless you pick it up and move it. Yeah. But even then it's not moving itself. You're moving it. Makes sense. So it's, you know, that kind of a thing. And then even with, um, us moving and living and breathing and stuff, we're only moving because we have, something inside of us moving us being like our spirit so sure and those so, things are you know free will and you know yeah. we'll get into and then that branches out way more <laughs> yeah but in, in just general but from yeah. general observation right this is what aquinas right. is doing is saying okay everything's in motion uh obviously there has to be something that puts that in motion everything so has then, to be moved by something yeah and so uh you know six therefore each thing in motion is moved by something else seven the sequence of motion cannot extend ad infinitum so or basically to infinity you know the whole latin thing there um so you can't have an infinite sequence of of movements of like, like because that's basically the same as nothing you can't have just you know go on to an actual infinite into the past of movements because then mm. there is no explanation at all for why that thing moves Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of what Aquinas is getting at. That eventually the buck stops somewhere. Yeah. And so therefore, eight, which is the last one, uh, therefore it is necessary to arrive at a first mover put in motion by no other, and this everyone understands to be God. Now there is some leap there between what the first mover is and then uh, what we uh, call God, but then that that's where additional argumentation kind of comes into uh, kind of bridging that gap, right? Between mm-hmm. okay the the first mover and the first mover is God. But in this actual argumentation, this brings you to that place, right? Where you have to admit that there is a first mover. So yeah. you it can't extend back into infinity. Uh, you have to have something that is, you know, from, yeah. you know, potential into, uh, you know, an actual motion. Mm-hmm. And so people were persuaded by this, right? Because obviously yeah. you have to have a first mover at some point, the box off has to stop somewhere. It can't go on yeah. to infinity. Everything around us is in motion. So what, put it in motion so yeah. that is evidence to point to a first mover right now that in contrast to say the big bang theory the you know correct me if i'm wrong but the big bang theory is that a couple things atoms collided and everything just kind of bam showed up by chance by accident but this counters that and says that something an intelligent you know first mover is the one that initiated everything into being Sure. So is that, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between uh, atheistic proponents of the Big Bang and uh, and theistic proponents of the Big Bang. I would okay. be, you know, a theistic proponent of the Big Bang, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. God is the one who who caused it to to bang, right? <laughs> like, yeah, is the one. I would agree. <laughs> yeah, and so that you you can't have, uh, you know, again, it just goes back to this argument, right? It's things, mm-hmm. nothing can't put something in motion. Something yeah. in motion has to to put something in motion. And actual, something can't come from nothing. Yeah. You know, it goes back to that. And that, and that's more material thing, which we'll get into in, in his other two. But just motion in general, things, even if you have material, how, like, even just, even if you have material out of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say material just popped up uh, nowhere. Uh, that still wouldn't explain why things are in motion, unless, mm-hmm. you know, why do things even have potential um, in yeah. motion? And then why things are in, actually in motion. And th- those things... You know, you, so if you take a first mover out of the equation, then it just kind of there's just yeah, kind of nowhere to go. It yeah. just goes in circles. <laughs> you still have to have an explanation of why things are in motion, and things are continually um, going in a direction, right? And this is mm. goes to his fifth wave, but we'll uh, we'll go to the second for now. So the second way, um, Aquinas is you know the argument from efficient causes. So we perceive a series of efficient causes of things in the world. So. This gets to the contingency argument. And so what we'll jump to uh, later is the idea of the Kalam cosmological argument and the kind of Leibnizian um, contingency argument or just the contingency argument. And so this one is mainly the contingency argument of what Aquinas is getting at here. The idea that um, everything has an explanation for its existence or there's an efficient cause for everything. And this even gets to the Kalam a little bit, but the the fact is that um, whether materially or or not, you know, there's there's a difference between material cause and efficient cause. So that that's another thing because you know material cause is uh, you know my obviously you have parents and they materially you know you, you're uh, like a material result of <laughs> of like of that a result of right, right, trying yeah. to say it in a way that, <laughs> that's kid friendly. But, right, 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 right. You know, I'm kind of beating yeah. around the bush here, but the the point is that is a material cause. You are a material creation, so to speak, of yeah. of that um, of that cause, right? You have a cause. I have a cause uh, for the reason why I exist, right? Materially, mm-hmm. and then you can go back into you know, efficient causes are more general, right? That everything has an explanation of why it exists, and so we perceive a series of efficient causes of things in the world. You know, everything we see has an explanation of its existence, basically, or a cause of its existence. Uh, Nothing exists prior to itself. So, for example, uh, before I existed, uh, you know, I couldn't have have been there, right? So, like, for me to have been caused to be, like, if Mm -hmm. I had a beginning, right, as, you know, a a little uh, fetus, right? Uh, Like, uh, prior to my creation... I was not there just saying, uh, you know, creating me. You know, does, that, does that make sense? Like, like yeah. I, I can't create myself. Right, yeah. You didn't uh, make yourself come into being. Something caused you to yeah. you know, come into being. So everything we observe in nature, they didn't create themselves, right? Yeah. They, they had a cause for their existence. So that, you know, th- this... Whether it be a seed in the ground or exactly. uh, materials rubbing together and... Mm-hmm. causing rock formations or, you know, water mm-hmm. planting, 
soil or seeds somewhere new or whatever you know it came from somewhere they didn't just show up yeah and you brought up the seed right so like the tree after it becomes a tree it didn't actually create itself you know beforehand and plant its own seed in the ground and say oh i'm gonna be a tree one day so you know it's like like somebody put the seed in the ground for it to then become a tree but the tree itself in the future did not cause didn't create itself i mean this is just intuitive right this is just common sense but um, you would be surprised how many people even challenge these things, right? Yeah. These very basic concepts that, uh, that's you, the thing with a lot of these concepts when you get down to it, it's really simple as far as like where they're coming from and what they're, mm-hmm. what argument they're making. And, and it's pretty modest claim here by Aquinas because he's not saying yeah. everything he's saying, we perceive a series of efficient causes of things in the world. So it's just like based on your own perception in the natural world, uh, everything that you see and observe. Um, has efficient causes, mm-hmm. you know, of that thing. Nothing yeah. exists prior to itself. Three, therefore, nothing in the world of things we perceive is the efficient cause of itself. Again, pretty self-explanatory. Four, yeah. if a previous efficient cause does not exist, neither does the thing that results the effect, right? Yeah, and some of that language, you got to read that slow. Whenever, yeah, okay. you're, whenever, No, I'm just saying, like, whenever, if you're reading this at home or whatever, Mm-hmm. studying at home uh in a class you know sometimes when you get into a lot of this academic material and academic language sometimes you got to read that a couple times and then you'll start to get it yeah. but so, especially when it's old writing like thomas aquinas so it's mm-hmm. kind of funny like we you know we're more used to it than others but sometimes you got to read it a couple times to get what they're saying yeah yeah i'll read that one again so if a previous efficient cause does not exist neither does the thing that results the effect Right. So if there is no uh, cause, you know, if there's no cause for the event, then obviously there is no event. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the, it's just pretty simple. Right. So uh, like for a fourth of July right. thing, if we didn't cause it to happen by planning it, it wouldn't have on the show, out of nowhere. it wouldn't have just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I didn't go to, uh, you know, if I, if I didn't grab this bottle of water, it wouldn't have just poofed. Oh, there's a bottle of water on my desk. Right. So I had to, there had to be and a- like with the wrestling promotion that I'm with, um, whenever we're talking about promoting for a show and getting our name out there and getting people to come, um, attend and watch the show and everything. Uh, the biggest thing that they told us was come when the day of the show comes and it's, you know, the Saturday of the show, people aren't just going to wake up and say, I think I want to go to DCCW today. They got to know that there's an event there. So they've got to be caused to go to the event. And the event's not just going to show up. We got to put the event mm-hmm. on. We got to build the ring and we got to put the chairs out. And so it's not just going to show up. Something has to cause it to go. Something has to cause, mm-hmm. cause the event to be there. So it's like you said, it's real simple elementary when it gets Yeah, it's very it. practical. Like we, we, we think this in our everyday lives as we do things, but somehow when it com- comes to the topic of our universe and God, people just say, oh, it just, it just happened to be that like that. And it's like yeah. <laughs> everything that you observe and experience in this life, you, yeah. it you is live what by it these is. logical principles. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so, for, so five, therefore, if the, the first thing in a series does not exist, nothing in the series exists. So if the first thing... So let's just say my great 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 grandpa never if never if they never married my great 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 whatever grandma then I therefore as a series in that you know effect would not have existed right yeah it just makes sense um you you can't like all the series of events that would take place afterwards um if it didn't have a cause 
you know, to, to spark those sequence of events, then therefore none of it would have existed. Right. Like Almost you have like to a have, butterfly effect even. Yeah. It's a butterfly effect. Something you have to have a cause for everything, mm. you know, to follow to actually or like dominoes. happen. Or dominoes. So if, you, if you take away the first domino, Mm -hmm. uh so so and just say like you know one case of this i like the domino example that's good that you brought that up so let's just say in one scenario i I flick the first domino and you know it just you have the sequence of falling dominoes now let's just say i remove the first domino and i still flick where where it is but you know of course i don't hit anything because it's not there then Mm -hmm. all the other dominoes are not going to fall because the first cause of those sequence of events was not there you know, there yeah. was no cause for the other uh, dominoes to fall. Therefore, they will not fall. So, again, this yeah. is just pretty practical, but, you know, it has to be stated. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, five, yeah, therefore, if, if, uh, if the thing, if the first thing in a series does not exist, nothing in the series exists. Six, if the series of efficient causes extends ad infinitum into the past, for then there would be no things existing now. That just goes to that philosophical mind boggle of, okay, if, if you go all the way into an actual infinite past of mm-hmm. events, uh, if it's actually an infinite number of events, then there is no cause for those series sequence of events. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that I, one will really make you think. <laughs> if, if, like, if I, I couldn't arrive today as a effect of a pre- previous cause, if there was no first cause. Yeah. If it just extends to infinity and there was no first cause to a sequence of events, then there would be no again effect. There would yeah. be no sequence of events. If you don't have a cause for the sequence of events, there is no sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is plainly stated, but you, you know you just yeah. think of. Th- well, this- then there's that one person that has that analogy of the uh, the cat in the box. It's like, is the is there a cat in the box? Is there not a cat in the box? You can't see it, so therefore it is and it isn't at the same time. So some people probably try to point that out. It was like technically, you know, but <laughs> well, the, I guess, the, yeah, probably the not in is, this case. But well, this is like a philosophical proof, and this is one of the things for the cosmological argument, which I'll get into as well. Um, because if you if you have an infinite amount of causes, then mm. you actually have no cause at all. Like you can't arrive to today, and you yeah. can't arrive at a at an effect tomorrow if there was no if. If it goes into infinity, that's mm-hmm. why it's like people proponents of, oh, the universe was always here or it just extends infinitely in the past. Well, the mm-hmm. thing is, that's actually possible philosophically. Paradox. Yeah, because you can't have an infinite amount of effects if there, you know, if there was no first cause. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, you know, uh, well, actually, no, seven, it says that is plainly false because there are things existing now that came through about through efficient causes. So because we see things, you know, a series of events now, then it couldn't extend, you know, ad infinitum into the past. Mm. Eight, therefore, efficient causes do not extend ad infinitum into the past, you know, just like we argued. Nine, last one, therefore, it is a, therefore, it is necessary to admit a first efficient cause to which everyone gives the name of God. So you have to, so it goes from motion, then it goes to causes, right? You mm. can't have a sequence of, of effects if there is no cause to put those things into, you know. Yeah. And it's a very logical effect. progression all through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, last one that we'll cover uh, through his five waves. 
the third way is argument uh, from possibility and necessity. So we find, no, so number one, we find in nature things that are possible to be and not to be, right? That come into being and go out of being, contingent beings. Hmm. So for example, this water bottle is contingent. And this goes back to the contingency argument, which we'll cover. So contingency argument, this water bottle uh, is contingent. It, it was not always um, here. Some, but you know, it, it, at some point, mm. the water bottle was created and the water was put into this bottle. And uh, there will be a time where this does not exist anymore, right? I will drink right. it, all the water, there will be no more water in it. Uh, the plastic will be thrown away, it'll be crushed up, it'll change its form. Therefore, the water bottle as it exists now uh, will, has not always existed and will not exist in the future. Right, it, gotcha. it already has. Uh, it's already half full, so its former, you know, its former yeah. state is already lost, because it's a contingent thing. Right, I'm a contingent being. Right, I, I came to be at a certain point. I wasn't, haven't always existed, uh, right. and my body is continually breaking down right now. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> we are dying. Right, we're going yeah. towards. Uh, we are contingent on. I mean, we're even contingent now on on things to keep us. Uh, alive, like food yeah. and water and shelter, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, there will be a time where I do not, like my body uh, will fail to exist, right? It will, mm. I will die, right? I will no longer, uh, because my body is a contingent thing. Yeah. Right? So it's always moving, always changing, always in motion in some mm. way. We don't just stay the same, like you were saying, for infinity. You know, we're always, mm -hmm. you know, we're in certain parameters here. <laughs> yeah and so if we're all content so if nature is all it's all contingent and so this mm -hmm. is where he'll point out so assume that so two assume that every being is a contingent being thus three for each contingent being there is a time it does not exist of course everything that we see now at one point yeah. did not exist that makes sense yeah. right uh, yeah, because like it's the, contingent like the laptops and computers and mics we're using you know those they definitely didn't, didn't always exist <laughs> nope, exactly. So, uh, so for each contingent thing, there was a time it uh, it does not exist. Therefore, so for uh, it is impossible for these always to exist because it, again, it's it's and it's in its very nature. So this microphone won't always exist; it will deteriorate. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, even the water bottle, its form's already lost. You know, the, like things, if it hasn't always existed, and it's not in its necess if it's not in its own nature to be eternal then it will eventually as well uh, be destroyed, die out, lose its form, whatever. Yeah. Uh, five, therefore, there could have been a time when no things existed. Makes sense. If everything you see in nature uh, yeah. is contingent, uh, if it hasn't always existed, well, then, of course, if everything in nature did not exist at one point, then it, it follows that everything, therefore, in nature. Yeah. Uh, was that's a kind, of a, nature it's kind of a itself. weird thing to think about. <laughs> it, there was a time when nature itself didn't, you know, it did not exist. Yeah. Uh, the world itself did not exist before, right? Mm -hmm. The universe at a point did not exist before. So that, I mean, that's the point uh, that he's making. It's and in our context thing. with like our uh, Christian worldview, that would be, um, you know, God, of course, created heavens and the earth and everything at one point, And it was nothing there. He created it or was, the universe there and god just created earth but at some point you know there was nothing and it was just god around and you know it wasn't just 
absolutely nothing at all and then just stuff showed up you know we believe that we had you know god the movie had to be an efficient cause yeah. which like the second created one. everything efficient you yeah. know all that stuff so, <clears throat> so it's interesting to think about theologically you know how that how that worked as far as before <laughs> earth was created before creation everything yeah but the thing is creation itself was contingent so therefore yeah. uh creation it needed itself, something to create it yeah creation itself there there's a point in which it did not exist uh, so therefore, you know, think uh, there could have been a time when no things existed. Six, therefore, at that time there would have been nothing to bring the mm. currently existing contingent things beings into mm. existence. And so, the Bible would confirm that because it said, you know, God created everything, so that meant nothing was there first. So yeah, and that's but, and, but I mean that's Thomas Aquinas's yeah. argument too. Uh, so I mm -hmm. mean he's coming at it from the same perspective as we are. Mm -hmm. So seven, therefore, nothing would be in existence now. Eight, we have reached an absurd result from assuming that every being is a contingent being. Therefore, not every being is a contingent being. So that, that's just his point, too. So ten, therefore, in the last one, therefore, some being exists of its own necessity and does not receive its existence from another being, but rather causes them. This all men speak of as God. So at some point you have to have a foundation of reality. Yeah. So if not every so not everything can be contingent because then like then you just get into absurdity of not everything happened from yeah. nothing and nothing can't cause everything, right? So yeah. if, if if you have a you have to have an explanation for every contingent thing. Yeah. And this would, you know, Aquinas would say, well, it's God. You have to have yeah. something that is non-contingent. You have to have a non-contingent being to therefore be the foundation for all uh, contingent mm -hmm. things. And really, I think the the whole atheist, um, I guess, point of view or whatever that suggests that we pretty much came from coincidence, the Big Bang, some things just lined up and bam... Here we are, essentially. Isn't that? I, I would think that's kind of a newer way of thinking. I know the Big Bang's a relatively newer theory, but um, believing that a god didn't create anything is kind of a kind of a uh, more or less modern viewpoint, right? Because even going all the way back to ancient man and everything, there's always been a god attributed to creating the world. And there's various yeah, gods, there's creation, but creationists all over the world in ancient times, and because so even ancient general, man knew something had to create us. Yeah. So because <laughs> so you just have to basic. Well, that's why the eternal universe theory has it's been such a big thing because it's like, oh well, the universe always existed and all these things, and we'll try to debunk some of those concepts in a second as I move on to the Kalam, but the the very fact of you know Aquinas and even what he's dealing with his day is like hey everything around us is contingent, uh, but everything can't be contingent because then, you know, it's just an yeah. absurdity to, you know, that not everything came from nothing. So there has to be a foundation of reality somewhere that it exists necessarily, right? There's some uh, thing or being that exists by the necessity of its own nature. Uh, think of like maybe even like numbers. So some people have posited that if numbers uh, are real in actuality, that they exist necessarily, that they just exist, they exist eternally, they, they weren't caused to be, and they're, 
you know, they exist because they have to. They, kind of thing. Yeah, they exist because they have to. They don't change, right? Because can contingent things change, right? Yeah. Uh, part of the nature of something being non-contingent is it's being consistent. It's having a consistent nature as well. It being changed less. So if if it's something has the potential to change, then it it really can't be, um, it it really can't be non-contingent as well. Yeah, and it's uh, uh how was I going to word that? It gets, <laughs> um, I just totally lost my train of thought where I was going with that. I know some of the some of those uh, uh, theories, you know, I get thinking about it and then I just get lost and I stall out. But <laughs> um, it's a lot it? of oh, so, so the math, the math thing. That's what it was. Um, mm-hmm. So saying, you know, the numbers exist because they have to, kind of thing. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting to think about from a theological standpoint because it would to me it seems like that would raise the question is god bound by certain laws or certain parameters uh like something as small as numbers or did would, he create that kind of a law or you know that kind of thing i would say it's identical with his nature so like okay. at, at some point you know and it goes back to the buck stop somewhere right you have to have yeah. something to where it's unchanging it's non-contingent foundation for reality where by which everything else comes mm. to be and has its has its own nature right it, it comes from some foundation mm. and so the contingency argument really is this idea of well there is a foundation there uh of the universe of reality of everything mm. that has its origin in this non-contingent thing because everything else is contingent it's it's hasn't always been it won't always be yeah. And it's it's has its um, its connection to something that is unchanging and really just um, you know caused everything else to be. Yeah, it's dependent upon you know my existence was not a necessary existence. I wasn't going to you know it depended upon certain people, namely my mm-hmm. parents, to marry each other, right? To get right. together. So I, I really had to. I'm a contingent being in that respect. You know, this water bottle is a contingent thing. Uh, this is this microphone is a contingent thing. Uh, yeah. You know, shout out. <laughs> uh, you know, it, somebody had to create it because it's not, it didn't exist necessarily. It didn't always exist. It won't mm-hmm. always exist. It's contingent. But at some point you have to get to a place where uh, everything has its origin in one foundational uh, non-contingent reality. In this case, Aquinas would say a being, which is God. Yeah. And that makes sense because it has to... Like I said, even the basic, you know, ancient man knew it had to stop and come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just that's a just to me that's a logical progression. But like you said, not everybody seems to mm-hmm. follow that logical line of thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get segue into the Kalam cosmological argument. So there's two main uh, arguments we'll get into. So you see how Aquinas is really kind of encapsulating mm-hmm. um, where medieval and ancient um, people were into this now new modern uh, simple yet complex simple yet complex and so you're going to see this kind of this turn so you have people before him like uh, Jewish and uh, Christian and Muslim medieval philosophers and you're going to have Aristotle and all that so it's all going to kind of culminate into Aquinas and then all of a sudden you're going to get into this um, you know people taking Aquinas and you know a lot of other scholastic and, and Christian thought, and they're going to come up with other arguments really uh, that are influenced by Aquinas. And so one of them is um, Leibniz. 
you know, who is around the 17th, 18th centuries, uh, or 17th, yeah, like right at the cusp of the 17th century. Uh, and then you're going to have somebody like William Lane Craig, who also wrote part of this book that we're going through, who coined the term Kalam cosmological argument based on the, you know, what he got from medieval philosophers. And he gave it that name uh, to, you know, as kind of a homage to, to those old philosophers. But he formulated this modern version of the argument called the Kalam cosmological argument. And I wanted to read a segment from the book itself, um, which states, you know, it's kind of like a introduction. And this will help for just our definitions in general, if you guys are still confused of what cosmological arguments mean. So it says here, a cosmological argument takes some cosmic feature of the universe, such as the existence of contingent things, which we talked about, or the fact of motion, which we talked about, uh, that calls out for an explanation and argues that this feature is to be explained in terms of the activity of a first cause, which first cause is God. A typical cosmological argument and so then he, he goes on to explain the four different problems if those, uh, you know, against or, or objections to those, those kind of argumentations. And mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, if those problems are solved, then the argument is therefore successful. And so then the rest of the chapter goes on and trying to debunk these four objections to cosmological arguments and its nature. Um, but I wanted to, to get into the uh, kind of an introduction to the, the Kalam cosmological argument specifically. Okay. And, and so it says here, uh, the cosmological argument is a family of arguments that seek to demonstrate the existence of a sufficient reason or first cause of the existence of the cosmos. So, you know, the universe itself, why did it come to be? Obviously, there had to be a first cause. That's the nature of a cosmological argument. Yeah. Um, the role of the defenders of this argument reads like, uh, a who's who of Western philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Ibn Sina, Al-Ghazi, Galat, Ghazali. I'm always going to butcher that. That's the medieval yeah, Muslim philosopher <laughs> that uh, he got the, the argument from. Uh, Maimonides, which is a Jewish philosopher, Anselm, who's a Christian one, Aquinas, who's Catholic, and uh, Scotus, Descartes, or Descartes, uh, Leibniz, you know, Leibniz, and Spinoza, and uh, Locke, John Locke. So a lot of these people were proponents of the cosmological arguments or version of it. And, uh, you know, just to name a few, the cosmological arguments can be conveniently grouped into three basic types. The Kalam cosmological argument, which we'll explain, for a first cause of the beginning of the universe. The Thomist cosmological argument for a sustaining ground of being of the world, which we won't really get into today. And the Leibniz, uh, Leibnizian, cosmological argument for a sufficient reason why something exists rather than nothing, which we'll get into a little bit. So the Kalam cosmological argument traces its roots to the efforts of early Christian theologians who, uh, throughout their commitment to the biblical teaching of creation ex nihilo, uh, which just means out of nothing, uh, mm -hmm. to rebut the Aristotelian doctrine of the eternity of the universe. So basically, Greek philosophers and even Plato himself, I mean, um, Aristotle himself kind of had this idea, well, the universe always existed. Uh, people will believe that today. Oh, the universe always existed. But yeah. um, in his, you know, in his works, it's talking about Aristotle, uh, against Aristotle and on the eternity of the world against um, Proclus, the Alexandrian Aristotelian commentator John Philoponus 
the last great champion of creation ex nihilo prior to the advent of Islam, initiated a tradition of argumentation in support of the doctrine of creation based on the impossibility of an infinite temporal regress of events. And so that'll be one of the proofs of the philosophical proofs of the Kalam cosmological argument. So what is the Kalam cosmological argument, you might you might say, right? Um, like I said, it's I never really realized the um, kind of the history of the specifically the Kalam cosmological argument kind of mm -hmm. stemming from the Muslim um, kind of train of thought, if you will. But kind of makes sense now. If you think about the word Kalam, you know that does sound Muslim. But the um, yeah, the argument itself, like I said, it's got so many different strains and different branches of the cosmological. Um, yeah, there's many cosmological it arguments. It gets it gets deep really quick. You get into one, and that branches into another one. And that branches into another one. And that branches into another one, and then you mm -hmm. got to circle back to where you started, and then it just keeps going and going and going. But um, which is why I yeah, like the Kalam, because yeah. even though cosmological arguments are really complex, the Kalam is very simple. Yeah. Uh, and so even though there's a lot of backing to the argument and a lot of complex things you know, in support of it, the actual argument itself is really simple. And so I'll just read just verbatim the, the whole argument. Um, okay. So the Kalam cosmo cosmological argument is as, as follows. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist. Three, therefore the universe has a cause. So this is way simpler than um, Aquinas's multiple uh, yeah. argumentation, you know, in support of his five ways. And yeah, that's what's nice about this one. Simple. It's a very modern articulation of, of the argument, um, kind of formulated, I, I think, by William Lane Craig. He's taking what this history of these arguments, of the cosmological arguments, and formulating it into this kind of simple, um, you know, three-premise argument which is, you know, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And, what and that's like say, what we talked about in that first episode of A, then B, and then if B, then A. Is that how that went? Oh, the, yeah, the logical kind of yeah. progression. Yeah. And so this, this kind of, I mean, it's really simple, right? It's just yeah. modal logic, right? And so it, it's just the, the idea that everything that begins to exist has a cause. So everything around you, if it began to exist, it has a cause. So this, this is a lot of time, uh, you know, the, the theory of time, a lot of it plays into this argument as well and the finitude of the past and things. But let's just say, you know, me, uh, I didn't always exist. There was a time where I didn't exist, but I began to exist at some point. So Chandler, Seth, you know, we began to exist at some point. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we have a cause and we know the cause, right? We, we know yeah. the cause. Or, you know how we came to be, right? The podcast yeah. didn't always exist. Podcast uh, didn't, it, had, it a had a cause. <laughs> the podcast began to exist, therefore the podcast had a cause. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, in this case, the universe began to exist, uh, therefore the universe has a cause. Yeah. And so, pretty simple. So Three steps. Is, there we go. What is the cause of the universe? And so that that's where you get into the second level of the argumentation of when you do a conceptual analysis of. Uh, the, what the cause could be, you kind of land at uh, an intelligent personal being, right? Where, like God. Because yeah. uh, I'll, I'll break it down a little more. So the first premise of the argument, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Again, this is pretty uncontroversial, right? Because this is yeah. this is what we explained with the Aquinas argumentation. Everything, the, everything around you, if it began to exist, had a cause. 
Now notice some people um, will try to say, well, what about God? Yeah. God, now notice the, the again, I'm just going to restate the first premise, how precise the language is. Every, it doesn't say everything has a cause or everything that exists has a cause. It doesn't say that. It says everything that begins to exist has a cause. Mm. So that that's the real... You got to read that carefully. <laughs> yeah, you got to read that carefully. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Because if something didn't begin to exist, then it doesn't need a cause because it's always yeah. been there. So going yeah. back to the number example, if the if numbers, you know, mathematics, laws of logic per se, or, or God, or, you know, if it, if it never began to exist, if it's always existed, if it's eternal by its own nature, right? If something mm-hmm. is eternal, then it doesn't need a cause because it never had a beginning. So yeah. So really anything that doesn't begin to exist doesn't need a, you know, it doesn't need a cause, but everything that did begin to exist, mm-hmm. it needs a cause because it can't begin to exist unless it had a cause of its, for its existence. So if God didn't begin to exist, he doesn't need a cause, but we began exactly. to exist. So we need, we need a cause, a exactly. which would be God. Yeah. Or in this a material sense would be our parents, right? Because oh, we, yeah. we, we became to, yeah, but yes, <laughs> ultimately, God, but yes. also our parents. <laughs> so it goes all the way back, even materially. So the first, uh, the first premise of this argument, everybody would, you know, mostly would, would agree with, right. Or if you, if you have, logical sense, right? You would agree with right, the right. premise. Even atheists would say, okay, uh, everything that begins to exist as a cause, obviously. Now, some people would say, except for the universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, that I mean, that's where you get into kind of the weeds there, but it's like, well... The universe is tough to process sometimes. <laughs> but it's like, well, if everything that begins to exist needs a cause, and the universe began to exist, the second premise. So this is where the, the most... Uh, controversial premise will come into play. The universe began to exist. That's a bold claim because some people have been saying for so long that the universe always existed. Now, is there any evidence to suggest that the universe had a beginning? Because if the universe had a beginning and everything that begins to exist had a cause, then therefore the universe had needed a cause. Yeah, it has, The universe has a cause. Um, well, there's, there's two supporting arguments for the, ex- the existence or the, the beginning of the universe or the finitude uh, of the past and of the universe, right? So the universe didn't always exist. Now there's philosophical evidence and there's scientific evidence. Uh, So the the scientific, or no, let me start with the philosophical actually. Uh, So again, everything that begins to exist has a cause, the universe begins to exist, the universe has a cause. And so the philosophical evidence for the finitude of the past um, kind of, it was articulated by Al, Ghazali, that, that 11th century Muslim philosopher, where it's basically saying, if, if you, if the past were really infinite, then you couldn't have come to today. Now, hmm. it gets a little tricky, right? Because yeah. you're thinking, so you can't add or take away from an infinite. True. So if the universe always existed infinitely into the past, then how could we arrive at today and how can we arrive at tomorrow yeah that's a good point you'd be adding to an infinite which is actually impossible yeah that's a good point (laughs) that kind of breaks down pretty quick so the philosophical evidence here is so if the the universe can't have always existed in the past as a sequence of events rather 
uh, because then we couldn't arrive at tomorrow or next week or next year because that's actually impossible because you can't add or take away from an infinite, right? It, it, you can't have an infinite sequence of events continually uh, arriving at a new yeah. event. So therefore the universe had a beginning because yeah. it can't be an infinite sequence of events. Mm-hmm. It had to, it had to have a, a beginning. Yeah, that's one of them things that makes your head hurt if you think about it for too long. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. I mean, if you got if you arrive somewhere, you have to start somewhere. If you just are always there, mm-hmm. or always arriving, then it's you you don't arrive or leave really. Yeah, you <laughs> it's can't. Just, you're just kind of always there. You can't arrive at like I can't wake up tomorrow, like as a new event. Like I can't do this podcast as an event and have an event tomorrow take place if there's been an infinite sequence of events prior to me. It's just kind of, it's, you know, it's yeah. incoherent. <laughs> um, so that's the philosophical evidence, per se. And one might say, well, isn't aren't we going forward into infinity? Uh, like, aren't we continually going on? And so that's the, where the distinction between an actual infinite and a potential infinite come in. Okay. So there's, there's a difference between a potential infinite and an actual infinite. We are going towards a potential infinite, right? Like, we keep going... Yeah. on to infinity but we never actually arrive at infinity does that make sense okay. so we never actually reach infinity we're just going on infinitely that's a that's what's called a potential infinite okay so in the future we you know let's just say the universe it keeps on going we go on you know and say heaven like, like we're going on and on and on but the, we never actually arrive at infinity it's a potential infinite because it keeps on going towards okay. infinity does that make sense yeah. But there's a difference between the future in that sense because it could be a potential and the yeah. past because the pe- the past already happened. So if the past already happened, then you can't have an infinite number of events prior to you because then that would be an actual infinite. You can't have an a- you can you can't have an actually infinite number of events prior to you that had already happened yeah. and somehow arrive at tomorrow. Yeah, that's uh I never guess I never really thought about that way, but that does make sense. And then the difference between actual infinite and potential infinite, that's uh that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you think about like when you get to heaven and you get to, you know, eternity, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's kind of goes into a different realm there, but you're going on for, towards infinity, but you never actually yeah. reach it because it's a potential infinite. And you wonder if for some reason if God would ever maybe create an earth again you never said he would but like with it being infinity and stuff you'd wonder sometimes if you might start over so to speak <laughs> so it's like one of those things like you said you're just you're always going towards infinity but might not actually ever reach never it reach it so but in the past if it's yeah. already happened then then it, ha- it, it can't be a potential to, to have to be an actual infinite which is actually impossible an yeah. actual infinite is actually impossible at least in the real world because a material or contingent things a sequence of events or time itself can't extend into the past, you know, an actual infinite number of times yeah. if we are to arrive at today. So God would be the only actual infinite. Yeah. But again, he, he's eternal by nature. Yeah. Uh, and he's not a sequence of events. So that's what I'm saying. Like material things are a sequence of events or time mm-hmm. itself because God had to create time. Right. Yeah. So time itself cannot be an actual infinite if we are to arrive at tomorrow right got it yeah makes Um, sense so that's the first um argumentation for 
the uh, finitude of the past, right? So you the universe began to exist. So the philosophical argument for that is, okay, well, the universe had to have uh, a beginning philosophically because otherwise it's impossible. You can't, the universe couldn't have philosophically always existed. A right. sequence of events is philosophically impossible. Now, but on top of that, there's scientific evidence for this. Uh, there's three main um, scientific evidence for the beginning of the universe as well, and that the universe isn't hasn't always been there. The first is the first law of thermodynamics. Matter cannot be created or destroyed, only change form, right? So hmm. if okay. you... We're not we're not growing as a universe. We're not uh, in the sense that we're adding new material. We're not taking away from material. So there is a sense of uh, what is here has been here since the beginning uh, of time, right? So things just change form, but they don't. There's not you know spontaneous creation and and uh, you know the removal of matter that, or energy that exists in the universe, right? It yeah. just changes form. Uh, so which means that what what began like what why do we have what we have like if the universe if matter is just uh you know if matter cannot be created or destroyed only change form then there's yeah. a certain point of where where did that matter come from where did it arrive it just yeah. couldn't have always been there right so the second law of thermodynamics as well the law of entropy um this is pretty simple matter goes from a state of order to disorder so that's that's proof of the that the universe had a beginning yeah Be because if, if you have um you know if the law of entropy is true which it is it's a, the law of of thermodynamics the second law of thermodynamics law of entropy which means that if you keep going backwards you keep going to a state of order um so that's it, interesting it, it, so if the universe always existed we have we would have already arrived at disorder does that make sense so if, if the universe is going from a state of order to disorder mm -hmm. then if the universe always existed then there wouldn't be any order left yeah that's uh so since we're ordered sense, yeah. so like this is ordered i'm ordered this is ordered th like matter is in a state of order right but the yeah. law of entropy is a thing things like my body uh you know we it's show changing. the law of entropy right yeah. we, we go from you know we're dying right like so right. like we we you know, older people will tell you, yeah, the law of entropy is a real thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if you don't work yeah. out, if you don't try to counteract some things, you know, naturally our bodies uh, go from a state of order to disorder. The universe itself goes from a state of order to disorder, which means that if it always existed, we would have already arrived at disorder. There would be no order left if it's in infinite in the past. So an infinite universe contradicts the law, the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy. Which means that it's further scientific proof that the universe had a beginning, because it had to via the law of entropy. Hmm. Yeah, it and, makes sense. And the third and final scientific evidence for the beginning of the universe is the Big Bang cosmology, right? So the initial dense singularity of the universe, time, space, matter—all of these things had to come into existence at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to get into big, uh, you know, detail here. You know, if you guys are interested in looking up a lot of Big Bangs cosmology stuff uh there's like a million documentaries <laughs> on netflix yeah. or anything just it'll tell you right they, yeah. the universe had a beginning the universe hasn't always existed it had a beginning yeah time space and matter had to come even, into existence at, you know, like i said even the big bang the theory time. will tell you that yeah initial dense singularity expanding universe uh you know conflicted with the steady state theory prior to that where it said oh 
because they, they, you know people beforehand said oh the universe doesn't move everything's there it's always been there but people are like well actually no the universe is expanding and it's going from a state of order to disorder and it's it came from a singular point yeah at a single point in time and so it's really interesting when you think about the concept that space is expanding which means at some point there's a spot there's some place where space stops <laughs> So it's yeah, or maybe not. Interesting, just, or maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Like when you watch those videos um, where the, people talk about like the size the of the thing. observable universe and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, just thinking about how ridiculously large it is, and since it's moving and expanding, you know, like you said, had to start from somewhere mm -hmm. and just is expanding out. So it's, like I said, it'll make your brain hurt sometimes. And there's some places like no matter you know how, even if. Um, humanity goes on infinitely we'll just some places we'll never reach just because it's always expanding it's and it's so far away it's, so it's it's crazy to think about but with just how fast is expanding and just the fact that it's expanding like you said means it came from somewhere it started somewhere mm -hmm. so if it was infinite it would just it wouldn't be expanding it would just be yeah so there's <laughs> also that <laughs> it's crazy i mean just think too like uh, now, some well, of you may be thinking, like, what does this have to do with being saved and being a Christian? And, like, this is a little bit too out there for me. But this is more um, kind of like what we have mentioned with, like, the verse in Peter or in Second Timothy. A defense uh, for where faith. it's like, yeah. yeah, having a defense for your faith, you know, study to show yourself approved. And you may have to use this argument. You may not. But why not arm yourself with knowledge? <laughs> and anything will just make you help your own personal understanding mm -hmm. and make you, you know, it'll only make you smarter and make you better to study this kind of stuff. So, and you may need to use it someday. You never know. Yeah. So it's, it's not totally useless. It's not like you have to understand every last point of the cosmological argument to go to heaven and be saved, but it's not bad to study either. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, anti-intellectualism in the church has been a, uh, an unfortunate thing yeah. you know we've had 2000 years of church history that has been very vibrant intellectually and has defended the faith intellectually yeah. and, and so i think some of that's come from just pastors and churches not having the access to the academic side of it and the education and the only way they could um defend their point of view or whatever is just to say oh that's crazy talk you don't need to know that kind of thing so yeah, it's it's kind crazy. of a yeah because you think like in church history, Christianity has always been the biggest proponent of science and philosophy in the intellectual world, right? It, it's that's where the scientific yeah. movement was was brought out of the you know the Christian movement, uh, and so. And you were telling me about there was a book you were reading. I can't remember the name, but it was saying how, you know how like hospitals and nursing and that kind of stuff was a Christian concept. Well, no, yeah, so there's always been doctors and physicians, but the idea of nurses and taking care of, you know, oh, like okay, yeah. the, the poor, the, the, you know, the needy, those on the streets, the orphans on the street, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. these things were Christian origin in the early church that had mm -hmm. compassion on others and that valued people and mm -hmm. you know, people have a soul. And, and so a lot of these, you know, the, the Christian worldview provides a foundation for a lot of things that we enjoy today. Yeah. And including the science, you know, the scientific method itself. Yeah. And, you know, you can see how even in this argumentation, it points to God, like the yeah. cosmological argument, it, it, see, it still points to God. And so that nothing, you know, it, part of the Big Bang cosmology, that which is the third scientific evidence here, um, 
part of that too is you know nothing existed prior to the singularity and scientists yeah. will tell you that that before the big bang there was nothing <laughs> yeah and so you, you know in the universe now is expanding at a increasing rate so you because of dark matter so like the the universe is expanding and is continuing to expand at an increased rate and at a certain point it all came together like uh if you go far enough in the past you can find that that beginning point yeah uh and and something caused that to be right so now there'd be different arguments as to how far back in the past, but that still was there. Yeah, the scientific <laughs> estimates now are that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Um, and so there's been a couple of confirmations from this from Hubble observations and a lot of things from when the theory was first propounded about a hundred years ago and it's continually being verified to now. Uh, the point is that, uh, whether even if you reject the first law of thermodynamics, Big Bang cosmology, the second th law of thermodynamics, or what, like between all these, the philosophical evidence and the scientific evidence, it's really hard to to just deny the the, the universe had a beginning. And so, therefore, mm. the first and second premise uh, pretty much stand uh, for the cosmological argument. And therefore, the conclusion, which just follows from the two premises, is true that the if therefore the universe has a cause. And if you do a conceptual analysis of, well, if time, space, and matter didn't exist before the Big Bang, then something that's timeless, spaceless, and immaterial had to be the cause of, of those things, right? And yeah. so you arrive at a cause that's timeless, spaceless, immaterial, uh, obviously powerful because all the energy in the universe had to you know, come from that singular point. Matter yeah. isn't created or destroyed via the first law of thermodynamics. Uh, and then you arrive at, uh, a you know a being a cause that has to be some level personal or make a free will decision because uh, if the universe hasn't always existed and if the cause always is timeless, therefore there had to be a certain point to where there was a decision to create the universe, right? Mm -hmm. So which means that it had to be personal because if it was an impersonal, uh, non-free will cause or causal agent, then what's how do we determine the point like why did the universe come into being at a certain point yeah like why 13.8 billion years ago as opposed to 15 billion or or you know or 1 billion years ago there was a right. certain there was a decision yeah <laughs> that had to be made right to create the universe at a certain point therefore the cause had to have some kind of agency or free will uh, mm. to do that so therefore you know the the inference there from all of this uh, from for this cause has to be consistent with you know what we see in the universe mm -hmm. um, you know like whatever the cause is had to produce all that's in the universe and we take ourselves our own mind right spirit mind all that stuff it had to be the cause of that too at some level right yeah and so you arrive at a being that is all of these things mm -hmm. uh, and therefore points to God so the the cosmological arguments particularly this the Kalam cosmological argument points to the existence of God in a big way because mm -hmm. the conclusion is really kind of unassailable from, you know, what's presented here in the premises. So, yeah. See, that's uh, like we said, like I was mentioning before, you know, why study this stuff? Does it matter? You know, is this a waste of time? Yes. Is it good for you? No, it it's matters. Not a waste of time. It, it matters. matters. And it's, um, like you said, you might not argue this with somebody every day, but it's good to have it in the repertoire in your mind and it just mm -hmm. helps you helps reaffirm your faith to show how nature points back to God and how nature reaffirms, you know, your belief. And there's still that element of faith that's still 
is there where you have to, you know, believe without seeing, but you can see the evidence of what you're believing in nature and it's pointing back to God. And a lot of, um, I forgot that in our uh, first episode, I remember uh, reading a portion of the introduction to this book, um, talking about how, um, Oh, what's the the term? Saying atheism's essentially atheism's on the decline and theism is on the rise in the philosophical kind of the, realm yeah, with this kind of stuff in the academic philosophical world. Yeah, yeah. So because it's showing Since you the know, 60s, it said, yeah, yeah. So they're so it's showing you that you know more and more people are realizing that something had to start kickstart all this. It couldn't have just come from nothing. So that's you know reaffirming for us because we know who the creator is and that's physical natural evidence outside of you know just believing the bible pointing mm-hmm. back to god and the bible and showing us you know we can believe in them yeah and like and it i said it's not to, good I was saying, it goes back to what we were saying with the distinction between uh natural theology uh or natural revelation special revelation so special yeah. revelation being jesus and the bible and natural uh, revelation or natural theology, which is what this series is about, is yeah. uh, God being shown through nature, which the Bible yeah. describes as well. And so independent of the Bible, we can see that God exists and, <laughs> and yeah. through these very argumentations, yeah. uh, th- through this very argumentation. And so, and the, I, like you said, Christianity has a lot of rich history, you know, being involved in this kind of stuff. And for thousands of years. And we had mentioned with like the New Testament, most of the New Testament was written by people that had the equivalent of PhDs in their day. So they were well educated people, you know, most Paul of the, being the most notable. So it's academic theology Luke. isn't bad. <laughs> and yeah. Luke, yeah. Paul and Luke wrote most of the New Testament, and both of them were essentially well educated PhD people equivalent in, yeah. in their day. Paul uh, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yeah, and notice even the Old Testament, those who wrote a big portion, right, of things like Isaiah. Isaiah yeah. wasn't, you know, Elijah and Elisha, they were there, they had their role, right, in yeah. being the faith and miracles and stuff, but they didn't write anything. Yeah. Um, but you have people like, everybody has their own gift, right? And then you have Isaiah, yeah. which doesn't have really any recorded miracles that he did, but he wrote prophetic books, a huge book, which yeah. we, which is also referred to as the fifth gospel because it describes Jesus so clearly. Yeah. Uh, and, and he helped the King, you know, Hezekiah and, and giving yeah. advice. And so that this one, you know, there is a big role that Christianity has played uh, for so long for those who dive deeper into the, the, yeah. you know, the intellectual world. God will use that for his yeah. glory because nature itself reveals God as well. Uh, yeah. And I just wanted to cl- conclude here from the Kalam uh, the you first, don't want to limit yourself, so to speak. Yeah. And so the conclusion of this, you know, the first premise of the Kalam cosmological argument is obviously more plausibly true than its contradictory, uh, you know, statement, obviously. Like, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Well, yeah, that's more plausible than its its opposite. Uh, similarly, in light of both philosophical arguments and scientific evidence, its second premise, although more controversial, is again more plausibly true than its negation. The conclusion of the argument involves no demonstrable incoherence and when subjected to conceptual analysis is rich in theological implications, as we, you know, as we described. On the basis of the Kalam cosmological argument, it is therefore plausible that an uncaused personal creator of the universe exists, who sends the universe is beginningless, changeless, uh, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, and enormously powerful. 
So the attributes that we described uh, to uh, for the cause that you know could have caused the universe, uh, all of these fit the description of God pretty well. Yeah, and they do. You, you arrive at a personal being who is powerful and personal and timeless, spaceless, and material. Yeah. So <laughs> sounds familiar, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so there, you know, therefore it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Quickly, uh, I wanted to describe the second, uh, and we won't take too long on this one at all. The second big cosmological argument, which we wanted to cover, was the Leibnizian contingency argument. They all had to have complicated names. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Leibniz was his last name, the guy who, the big proponent of it. And so they kind of used his last name as the, you know, the Leibnizian contingency argument. Um, Where's he from? Sorry, rabbit trail. Somewhere in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I forgot where he's from, Leibniz. Um, <laughs> he sounds French, I think, but that's interesting. I don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. Wanna anyway, my bad. <laughs> now you're good. So the contingency argument uh, goes as follows: so every contingent fact has an explanation. There is a contingent fact that includes all other contingent facts. Therefore, there is an explanation of this fact. Four, this explanation must involve a necessary being. Five, this necessary being is God. So a little longer than the Kalam, a little less simple, um, but it goes back to kind of Aquinas's contingency ideas. So every contingent fact has an explanation. So this podcast was contingent. It was, it was contingent upon us starting it. It's still contingent on us continually doing it. Right. Yeah. It, it didn't. The podcast didn't know. It's a contingent. It's not just going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is a contingent fact. Right. And therefore has an explanation. Everything has an explanation for its existence. Every contingent thing. There is a contingent fact that includes all other contingent facts. So, for example, um, the universe itself. Right. So the universe. There's. There's. A contingent fact that explains all other contingent facts. Well, everything mm-hmm. that we see on this earth, well, the earth itself is contingent upon other things that happened in the universe and the universe itself, right? So you, you just go back to the whole universe itself contingency, right? Mm-hmm. That explains all other smaller contingent facts like this podcast and me and this earth and this moon, right? Um, therefore, there's an explanation of this fact. So if the universe itself is contingent, uh, then it has an explanation. Yeah. Makes sense. So there's an explanation for the universe. Um, Pretty for this explanation must involve a necessary being. Okay. So that's the controversial premise too. So the explanation must involve a necessary being, not just a necessary thing, but a necessary being. Uh, and this nece- necessary being is God. And that's the, also the other controversial premise. So how do you arrive at, at this? Um, now, more simply put, I wanted to uh, to, to kind of state it as, you know, a contingency argument as follows. Everything that exists contingently has a reason for its existence. Uh, the universe exists contingently. C- contingent, contingently. The universe, big word. Has, yeah, the universe <laughs> has a reason for its existence. So the, the, there's a reason why the universe exists. Now, notice this is a little different than the Kalam. You might think, well, this is pretty much the same thing. Well, a couple things. They rely on different evidence. So the Kalam... Like cos- you said, this one had a little bit more extra steps. Yeah. The Kalam cosmological argument relies on 
time. It relies on the beginning of the universe, beginning, you know, cause begins to exist, all that stuff. Um, it relies on scientific and philosophical evidence, therefore. Now, the contingency argument uh, is a little different because it just says everything that, you know, has an explanation for its existence. And another way put, another contingency argument is um, everything uh, that exists has an explanation for its existence either by a prior cause or the necessity of its own nature. So like God has an explanation for his existence within his own nature, right? He's in a, his own nature is eternal, timeless, spaceless, all the, all the above, right? So therefore everything that exists has an explanation for its existence. Now this, this language has nothing to do with time, has nothing to do with beginning. And even there are people uh, like Origen, an early church father, who believed that the universe was eternal, but hmm. believed that it was contingent upon God. So, like, the contingency argument actually bypasses the any problem with the beginningness of the universe. So you can actually believe okay. that the universe is eternal and still believe the contingency argument like Origen did, because, uh, he, you know, in, in, a, in the sense that, well, God has been eternally generating, you know, the universe. Or, or, or put like this, let's just say you have an eternal footprint, but you also have an eternal foot, right? Well, okay. the, well the footprint is explained by the foot, okay. uh, you know, the boot, right? Even though both are eternal. So even if you have an eternal universe, which I don't think is the case, uh, I think the Kalam cosmological argument is very convincing in that regard that the universe itself had a beginning. But even if you had to say that the universe is eternal, it still wouldn't explain away the contingency argument because everything has an explanation for its existence. Why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. Right? You, you just That's have true. to say, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. At some point, there has to be a foundation for reality itself. Even if that reality has been eternal in the past, its own, you know, it's still contingent upon something that has the ability or its own nature is eternal. So God's nature is eternal and anything he's created, even if he created it from the beginning of time or eternally in the past, uh, he still generated that, that, uh, that universe, that, that thing, right? Because it's still um, explained by him. Anything that exists is explained by God. Right. And, you know, as the new Testament uh, describes that, um, you know, by, by the word of the Lord, you know, the, the the, you know, the universe holds together. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, like I'm butchering the verse, but you know where, where, what I'm talking yeah. about in uh, what Paul describes that uh, everything, you know, the, the word of the Lord holds the universe together, has, holds all things together. And by him, yeah. all things came to be right. All yeah. things came to be by the word of the Lord, by God, by Jesus. And, and Paul so, could teach us this because he studied this stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Paul will tell you so, this, that everything, yeah. uh, came by the word of the Lord and mm. everything is contingent. Everything is held together even now by God. So everything now is contingent uh, upon a greater reality that exists non-contingently that exists by necessity of his own nature. Yeah. Um, and if any of this is very complex language, then, you know, feel free to comment, you know, shoot us a message, anything we'd love to, you know, further dissect it. Um, but I, you know, we just wanted to kind of put forward the cosmological arguments and two main ones, the mm. Kalam cosmological and contingency argument. Um, you can check out resources. They're all, you know, they're all online. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can go check out these arguments yourself. 
um, and further explore them and the it's evidence. It's too complicated for, it. for us to have made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have made this up. And yeah. it's seen in the Bible, like I said, Paul, and, and it's seen throughout church history. Hmm. Um, now, the the difference is, well, okay, this arrives you at theism, this arrives you at God, but how do you know it's the Christian God? Well, yeah. you, you would be right. Uh, there are other arguments that describe the the exist, you know, why it's the Christian God versus the others, right? But these arguments, which have been, uh, you know, supported by Muslims and Jews and Christians, arrive you at this all-powerful monotheistic God. So at least you narrow it down to three with these arguments. Yeah. But there's additional arguments, namely also Jesus himself and the resurrection, which point to, um, you know, the Jewish Christian, Judeo-Christian God. But these arguments uh, really smack in the face any <laughs> atheistic ideas where you would say, well, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, they say, well, I don't believe in a God or people say like that. And it's like, well, have you looked at the cosmological arguments? And there's other ones mm -hmm. too, which we'll get into next week. We'll get into the teleological arguments, but the cosmological arguments we found pretty uh, convincing ourselves. And, you know, we're glad we were able to share it with you guys today. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's about all I had on these two main ones, unless we want to mm -hmm. further uh, go into some of those things. But I just, uh, yeah, I, I just know that between the Kalam and the contingency argument, they uh, they provide a pretty pretty strong foundation yeah. for for natural part of natural theology. Yeah, and the existence I think, of God. Yeah, I think that's a good. Those are two good ones for sure. Um, like this is, uh, I think I had mentioned it in the first episode we did a couple weeks ago. That you know I've I've had classes on this stuff before. Um, hadn't really touched it in a while so this has been a good refresher for me just kind of going back over this stuff especially as i'm going to be going back into school in the fall but um yeah another kalam simple you know three steps and yeah the, three premises um, yeah yeah and then what, the Anyone second can learn one, it. what's the second one i forgot the name the contingency argument contingency okay i was thinking uh, of the other one starts with the t the uh, teleological teleological yes but that's next week <laughs> um but yeah contingency couple more steps still the same kind of basic principle and it's it all breaks down to everything started somewhere it didn't just start itself you know something put it in motion and a lot of people have different interpretations of what that person that put it into motion is but like you said it's kind of narrowed down to you know the main kind of god, god. <laughs> islam you know that kind of we believe you know yahweh god for sure um you know, some people may try to say it's aliens, but uh, I th that would probably, if we took enough time, we could probably break that down too. <laughs> well, <laughs> but more, uh, more definitely, precisely, yeah, more precisely, we'll, it, we would say theism. So theism, right, is, or in, in contrast to atheism, right, like God. Yeah, theism, and, yeah, and yeah. God. So theism, these arguments are theistic arguments where it shows the existence uh, you know, proves the existence yeah. for God. And these are, sim again, simple arguments. Uh, one last thing is uh, I wanted to cover is an, a, some of the objection to the okay. Kalam real quick. Uh, and I'm wearing, it's funny, I'm wearing an Ant-Man shirt. I did this on purpose. Um, because <laughs> I was know, wondering what that was. I saw the Marvel, but I didn't yeah, see the rest of it. Ant-Man, uh, the quantum realm, right? So, Ooh. so some people have said that, uh, well, of course something can come from nothing, like the universe, because we see things coming in and out of existence all the time in the uh, in, in a you know cosmic sense or, or, or quantum sense, 
And what's funny, you know, out of a vacuum, so to speak, but this is actually kind of a um, an equivocation, right? A fallacy. So the fallacy of equivocation being that it's the same word, but it's having two different meanings, but you're trying to use it and such. And so, okay. for example, when when uh, scientists talk about the quantum vacuum or the quantum realm, you know, Ant-Man, right? It's actually not nothing, right? It's actually vi very vibrant. And if you've seen Endgame and you've seen uh, <laughs> Ant-Man, and even though these are just fantasy made up things, right. you, even you intuitively know, it's like, okay, if, if somebody goes into the quantum realm, it isn't just a void of actual nothing, that there's something there. There's things there, yeah. there's material there. Like, it's an I actual confess. Realm. I will confess, I haven't seen Ant-Man, but I saw uh, okay. Endgame. <laughs> well, yeah, but Endgame, yeah, or Ant-Man 1 and 2. So you see the quantum realm, it's an actual exist, like there's things there, right? There's energy yeah. uh, in, the, in that vacuum, so to speak, right? Uh, even yeah. this comment, yeah, that, you know, there's energy in the vacuum. So in the quantum realm, there's energy there, there's things there. Now, when we talk about, well, nothing or a, a regular person or a lay person talks about like the vacuum, like out of nothing, the universe came out of nothing or big bang. When they say the big bang came yeah. from, came out of nothing. They're, they're actually saying nothing, like no thing, like not yeah. an actual existing thing. And so if an atheist or, uh, he tries to say, well, you know, Oh, well things come out of nothing. all the time. It's like, no, no actual thing comes from nothing. Now, something might pop in and out of the quote-unquote quantum realm uh, or seemingly or out of the quantum vacuum, so to speak, but there's but there's actually energy there which producing things. Like, again, it goes back to everything has a, that begins to exist as a cause, right? And so whether you're on the cosmic scale, the you know, macro scale, ours, or the mm -hmm. microscopic you know, quantum scale, every, all of those things have substance to it. But all of those three layers of existence all came from a singular point of, you know, of actual vacuum of no thing. Yeah. And therefore, we would say that cause is God and thus pointing to these cosmological arguments we've covered already. It's like the great philosopher Shrek said, layers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch those movies in so long. <laughs> but but is, the, is the quantum realm and string theory kind of the same thing? Because uh, they kind of touched on string theory in the end yeah, game, right? Well, not not really string theory. They they covered time, like quantum realm and time difference, and like the difference between again, like you said, the layers of existence, right? Between the micro, the quantum realm, and our realm, and cosmic. But that's kind of different from what we're talking about, though. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. yeah, it's a little different than string. And I don't know enough about string theory to really say anything intelligible about it. Yeah. Um, but I. <laughs> I, I just know that there is some difference there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But still, like, it's yeah. But between, but I just I wanted to bring that objection up too because uh, when you when we say the big game, like the universe came from nothing, ex nihilo, ex nihilo, you know, can't even say that word, ex nihilo. <laughs> Neither can I. Ex nihilo. There we go. Out of nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's an actual nothing. Mm. And which means that it points to the existence of God being the cause of such thing, of the beginning of the universe. Right? Uh, thus, back to the, the Kalam. But when scientists, when they, uh, when they talk about things coming from a quantum vacuum or out of nothing, it's not the same nothing. Mm. Okay? They're actually describing a different a vacuum or a quantum vacuum that actually has things that is a an actual quantum realm right yeah um 
and so that that's there, there's a, some level of equivocation and it reminds me of uh, there's a scientist a famous atheist by the name of Lawrence Krauss who will say things like this it's like well see the Kalam is or, or things like that um, you know the universe from nothing it's like well we see things come out of no, you know in and out of nothing all the time and it's like no Krauss <laughs> we don't actually see things coming in example and out of, of something coming in and out of nothing yeah, all the time uh they'll well again they'll point to the qu you know quantum vacuum but it's like the quantum vacuum which is actual things is not mm -hmm. the same of a no like a, like nothing coming up from actual no thing right so you might encounter that mm -hmm. um but uh that's that's what i wanted to to you know kind of point that objection out a little bit um yeah and if you guys have any other questions you can always you know, let us know and, and, uh, and shoot us a message or put it on here. We will be having a Q&A episode after we go through our natural theology series and before we start our next series. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. We're, we're, yeah, we're, I think we sufficiently covered at least what we could in a small podcast form. Yeah, uh, the, we got the, the basics, the gist of it. The cosmological arguments. Uh, next week, we'll cover the teleological arguments for God's existence and, you know, those quote-unquote design arguments, uh, you know, Showing yeah. in nature, God obviously there had to be a designer because you see design in the universe. But um, oh, and one last objection, actually, I just forgot. I wanted, to, yeah. So two, the, the two was one, the quantum vacuum, and two, the second objection is, well, what about the multiverse? Uh, the okay. multi, the multiverse is an objection to the teleological argument, but it isn't actually a good objection to the cosmological arguments or at least the contingency argument for sure, uh, because it's even if you have a multiverse, you have to have like a beginning to the first of those universes. And what okay. what is the what is the cause for the mechanism that's churning out universes? Yeah. <laughs> so if there's first, some yeah. <laughs> if there's some mechanism or some force or something that's just churning out a multiverse you still yeah. have to have an absolute beginning to that thing. Because if you have a sequence of events or a sequence of universes uh, or inflation theory or all these things, yeah. you still have to have an absolute beginning. That's um, true. And yeah. so if, you know, the multiverse, um, it really isn't a great objection to the, to, uh, to the cosmological arguments, maybe to the Kalam specifically, because it has to do with Big Bang cosmology and the, uh, the specific beginning of this universe, but mm -hmm. the contingency argument where all of reality has its foundation in a non-contingent thing, that can you can go back to universe after universe after universe if that is a, such a thing, and you still have to have they're still contingent. Universes are still contingent upon a non-contingent thing, which would okay. be God. Uh, and so it's the multiverse. Even though there's no actual evidence for a multiverse, it's so popular right now, and you know you got Marvel movies like. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and all that coming out. Spider-Man into the Spider -Man multiverse or whatever multi it was. Yeah, Spider-Verse. and Yeah, that thing. <laughs> all, all, you know, multiverse is such a popular idea, even though there's not really any evidence for it. Uh, yeah. Even if that were a thing, and even if it were a good um, you know, counter-argument, it still doesn't really touch the contingency argument, and it barely touches aspects of the Kalam cosmological argument. So gotcha. th those two objections of the quantum vacuum and the multiverse really don't have any, uh, are not too good objections to the arguments we set forth. Um, and so I think, again, these these arguments give sufficient evidence for, uh, at least at some level, in natural theology for the existence of God. And I'm glad we got to share it with you guys today. 
And, yeah. Uh, you know, stay tuned for the rest of our natural theology series. Do you have anything else to add there, Seth? Um, I think we pretty much covered it other than just uh, I'm excited to get into, of course, you know, the rest of the series next week with Teleological, because that one I'm not as familiar with. So that one's going to be interesting to study. It'll be a fun um, reading. Yeah. yeah. So the cosmological, I did have some knowledge already. Um, and um, the teleological, like I said, that's still kind of a new thing for me. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. But hopefully we um, we're mostly Chandler. Like I said, Chandler's the brains, a brainstorm. I'm just the storm. So uh, hopefully, you know, we can uh, broaden your guys's uh, knowledge, your horizons, and just kind of do something to help you guys out in some way. Because you know, this is this goes a lot deeper and a lot more into the weeds than just kind of you know practical. Um, biblical teaching that you'd hear on any given church or whatever, but yeah. that's why we wanted to do it. We want to be, you know, something different, teach the little bit out there stuff and make it more um, easy to listen to and retain for you guys. So mm-hmm. hopefully we, you know, broke that down, you know, well enough for you guys to understand. But other than that, you know, just thank you guys for, you know, Join keeping us. with us and helping us be able to go. Was it 16 weeks? Yeah, this is our 16th episode. 16, yeah. Wow. So it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, we do, it's not like, um, you know, we work for some company and we have to, you know, put these out, you know, Mm -hmm. something that we do just for fun, but you guys make it uh, easy to do because we know that you guys are paying attention and you guys are listening. And hopefully we're making a difference somehow. So we do it for you guys. So thank you for helping us out. And, uh, letting us do something fun. <laughs> yeah. And some of review here. Thanks for hosting Pastor Seth and Chandler. You're welcome. We love you guys. Yes, sir. Thank you. He says you are knowledgeable and humble Pastor Seth. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh good way to end the episode. Praise be to the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So yes, uh, blessings guys. We'll see you next week. Do you want to read the benediction? Uh, or do you want me to read it? You can read it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Since you got it uh, armed and ready there. <laughs> yeah. Well, halfway armed. It is a good <laughs> at, way to, at, 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 at this point, I need to... I keep forgetting to always have it marked and ready to go. I always got to grab it. <laughs> but it's only two verses. I had to just start to memorize it. That'd probably be a better idea. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless. See you guys next week. See you guys.